And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning and welcome to the show. Of course, it is hump day and that means it's also Fed day. And that means this afternoon, of course, is the all-anticipated FOMC meeting announcement from Jerome Powell. Will they, won't they? Is it a skip? Is it a hop? Is it a jump? Who knows? They're going to do something with interest rates today. Probably nothing. Um, but this is what everybody's focused on at the moment. After yesterday's CPI report that came out, that number came in right really kind of in line with expectations, more or less. Um, headline CPI came in at 0.1%, a little bit weaker than expectations. But overall, the CPI rate fell from 49 to 4%. And look, this is going back to last year. Um, we were talking about in June that inflation had likely peaked. And at that point, it was going to fall fairly rapidly, mostly because of math, the year-over-year comparisons. If we go back to this time last year, we were talking about 1% jumps, 1.2% jumps in CPI. So when you have a, a, a month now of 0.1 compared to 1.2 last year, that decline in, in CPI is going to be really, really sharp, as, as we've talked about before. That doesn't mean, of course, that prices are actually getting cheaper, right? We've talked about this in the past, that if you pay a dollar for something today and you pay a dollar for it a year from now, the, the product didn't get any cheaper, but inflation is zero. It's just how the math works. Overall, though, Inflation is coming down. That's good news for the markets. The, the Federal Reserve has been clear that what they're looking for is a clear trajectory of inflation back towards their 2% target. Now, the not so good news yesterday in the CPI report was that core inflation came in at 0.4%. Now that is 4.8% annualized. If we did 0.4% every month, 4.8% for a year. That's still pretty high in terms of core inflation. That number remains a lot more sticky. It was mostly driven by used cars, um, also some other subcomponents of the index. But overall, the core inflation remains sticky. Now, this is what the Fed pays more attention to in terms of their inflation calculations. They look at that core price. But it's still expected today that the Fed is at least going to skip hiking rates today. In other words, they'll come out today and say, we're not hiking rates. Now, what will they say? This is going to be the big debate, right? Will the Fed talk about pausing? In other words, they're done hiking rates, period. This is, this is kind of the hope of the market here over the last few days, particularly with yesterday's CPI report. Market has now rallied well into three standard deviation territory. We thought we were there yesterday. We're even more into it today. Um, but really, really overbought here on a short-term basis. But that rally over the course of the last couple of weeks has been in anticipation primarily of the Fed stopping hiking rates. Now, because the expectation, of course, is if they stop hiking rates, what's to come next? That's obviously a Fed rate cut. The problem is, is there's no reason to cut rates. The economy's doing fine. Um, inflation is coming down. Stock market's doing great, so why do I need to cut rates? As we've talked about before, the only reason to cut rates is if there's a problem economically, right? You have a recession, you've got a market correction going on of, of, of magnitude that might affect consumer sentiment, but all of that's fine, right? Outlooks for sales and earnings are growing. Expectations for the market getting back to all-time highs by year end is starting to come out all over the place. 
And the market's been doing fairly well here, so there's no reason to cut rates, really, at all, until something else happens. And this is the part the market really hasn't recognized yet, is that higher, these higher interest rates are here to stay, at least for a while. You know, the Federal Reserve had talked about before, higher for longer. That means that they're going to keep rates at five, five and a quarter percent, whatever it is, for a longer period of time. Now, what could derail the markets today? That's the big question. Well, if the Fed comes out this afternoon and, you know, is a bit more hawkish in terms of their announcement saying, hey, look, you know, we're going to skip today's policy announcement. And then, look, there is a potential the Fed could come out and hike 25 basis points. It's a low, the market's got that price at a pretty low level, but it is there. But let's assume that the Fed is going to skip today and not hike rates. One thing that could derail the markets here a bit is language that is specific to talking about, you know what, we're still concerned about inflation. We may need to hike rates more. And you put that back on the table that that, that window for further rate hikes is off the table. One of the big things that has been going on here of late, of course, is really when you take a look at the NASDAQ in particular, we've had a very, very sharp run in the NASDAQ. Now, there is a historical relationship between NASDAQ and real interest rates. Real interest rates have been falling. Uh, the NASDAQ obviously has been rising here sharply. That deviation between those two is an interesting point because remember that technology stocks are a long duration asset. In other words, it is solely dependent upon the growth that they need to grow sales in order to justify valuation. So as a long duration asset, Therefore, it is highly tied to lower interest rates. If interest rates are coming down and you have an easier economic environment, that means that they have a, more, uh, a greater ability to generate those sales and, and justify those valuations. The problem with higher interest rates and falling real rates is that that is a big deviation now between these long duration assets and what hap what's happening with the interest rate policy itself. So if the Fed comes out and starts talking about higher for longer, and even potentially talking about further rate hikes, that could be the thing that trips up the markets here over the course of the next you know, few weeks, next month or so, whatever it is. Now, the markets will price that in pretty quickly. But again, what we've talked about is this market is extremely extended on multiple fronts. We're very, very overbought. We're very extended. Three standard deviations. The NASDAQ's currently trading 20% above its 200-day moving average. That is a very big historical deviation from that long-term average. You're going to get a correction here. And as we talked about before, what causes it? That's going to be the question. There'll be something that happens, something the market's not currently expecting, that trips up the idea of stronger earnings, stronger sales, this kind of exuberance in the markets. And it's just that, that return to a bit of, of reality. And again, as we take a look back if, at you know, 2021, heading into the January 2022, we saw very much the same type of you know, exuberance that was going on back then. And you know, when we were kind of pushing up into that peak back in 2021, 2022, we saw these same deviations from long-term averages. And again, nobody expected anything to change at that point, but it did. And so here we are once again, very extended, very deviated, very overbought. In fact, the MACD is now at some of the highest overbought levels that we've had uh, going back in history. So that suggests that something's going to happen. Don't know what it's going to be, right? I have no idea what it could be, 
but something will happen that will basically spook investors here and will eventually get that correction. It's going to come, it's going to happen. The question is, is when and how big will that correction be? I'll tell you what it's not gonna be, it's not gonna be a correction back to all time lows. <laughs> we are now clearly back in a bull market. The bear market low was in October, and I'm getting a lot of flack here lately about Lance is all bullish. I'm not all bullish. I'm just telling you that this is what the market is telling you. You're going to get a correction back towards that 200-day moving average. That's going to be your level to start adding exposure into your portfolios if you're underweight stocks now. So again, that's just what's going on with the market. It's not bullish. It's not bearish. It's just what it is. We may not like the fact that it's doing this, but just because it does, the market doesn't agree with our views about the economy or about the world at large, that's just what markets do. They tend not to agree. So anyway, lots of stuff coming up today. Uh, Danny Ratliff joining me this morning. We've got a lot of stuff to get into with you, so stick around. Be sure you get by the website. Michael Leibowitz, part two of his article on sector rotations is out this morning. So again, you know, we've talked a lot about this rotation in markets that's been going on the last few days. More of that analysis today on the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. We'll be right back. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Oh, Red, I declare. I plum missed that candy coffee. Whatever am I going to do? Don't you worry, little darling. We'll watch it again on our YouTube channel. Why, Red? I never. The Real Investment Show YouTube channel has all of our past presentations from Candid Coffee and Lunch and Learn, the special topic discussions, and all of our live show recordings preserved for you. Subscribe now to the Real Investment Show YouTube channel or look for the link on our website at realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. <laughs> so we're just debating, Danny and I are just debating here. Uh, they've got it on Fox News right now. The congressional baseball game is uh, coming up here very shortly. So every year, um, the you know Congress has you know, Democrats versus Republicans. They have a baseball game every year, and it's a good event. The, the debate is, is why are we spending a lot of taxpayer dollars buying them all MLB style professional uniforms for one game. Can't they just show up in a pair of shorts and a shirt and flip flops and play some baseball? That's, you know, just like we used to do growing up. I'd bet they also have them framed on their walls when they're done. Oh, I'm sure. Who's paying for that? Brent. <laughs> yeah, Brent, you, me. <laughs> oh, I don't pay taxes. And all I, I, I figure there. I just don't pay taxes anymore. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, the rest of us poor schlubs is who's paying for it. <laughs> Yeah, watch out for all those new IRS <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> got to feel Lance going to be here initial soon. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I've, I've gotten those letters before. Uh, you're being audited for your tax return. Have fun! <laughs> so. <laughs> Good luck! You know, this is the funny thing, right? You see all these uh, videos on TikTok and stuff now, it's the, and these people are talking about, oh, here's how you can, you know, get $50,000 from the government. Just form three LCs and... And you, you, you go apply for a grant and then you borrow some money and then you do this and do this and go buy your car and, and turn it into a lease for your business. If you want a letter from the IRS, do that. 
<laughs> there's so much bad information out there on social media. Yeah. And there was actually just a report. I didn't have an opportunity to read it yet, but it was talking about you're more likely to get bad financial information on social media. Of course. Yeah. These people, there, there are people that are putting this stuff out there to get likes and views so they can, you know, become an influencer and they get paid by somebody else to, you know, advertise their product. There's a lot of, you know, when you've watched some of this stuff, you go, are you serious? <laughs> well, so. and, and what type of real world experience do many of these people None. have? They, yeah. These kids are in their 20s, yeah. you know? So anyway, I, I don't want to digress. We got stuff to get into today. I love the ones though, that, that they say how much they're worth, but then they don't they talk about all the loans they've taken out. So <laughs> yeah. wait a second. Let's backtrack. Yeah. This. Worth, net worth is assets minus liabilities. Yeah. So yeah. Just because you have a lot of debt doesn't mean you're wealthy. You know, um, I tell that to my kids a lot because they have they have parents that buy their kids, you know, G wagons when they turn 16, you know, et cetera. And and they're like, Well, Dad, why, you know, you make us buy our own cars. And I'm like, Yep, and you appreciate and you it. You will more. thank me for it later. Exactly. And and like, well, you know, Jimmy's dad bought him a new G Wagon. I go, Jimmy's dad up is up to his ass in, in debt, but you know, he's living large, but he's got no net worth. And Danny, you and I see this all the time. And and if you don't believe me, I mean, you know, this is why if you have a million dollars saved up in the bank, just I'll make you uh, I actually skip that. If you've got five hundred thousand dollars saved up in the actually skip that. If you've got two hundred and fifty thousand dollars saved up, you're in the top five percent of savers in the country. Yeah, you're doing much better than most. Exactly. It doesn't take a lot. And in fact, we're gonna talk about you know being wealthy versus feeling wealthy. It doesn't take a lot. And Danny and I meet with people all the time. They've got a million dollar house, two million dollar house, they have a Ferrari in the garage, they've got all this stuff, and they have absolutely no money in the bank. I have literally met with people who have Ferraris in the garage have, mm -hmm. and make a ton of money. It's like, what happens if you don't get a paycheck next month? Because not saving anything, right? It looks all great on paper yeah. and what, what you see, but those material things can disappear like that if all of a sudden cash flow stops. Yeah. And that's Go. scary. That's a real scary thing. So as a financial planner, like, you know, trying to help somebody navigate and back off of that is extremely difficult because you get in this environment and oh, it's easy. Oh, I've always had the money come in. That's right, until you don't. And, and there's no real plan for the future. Yeah. And, and by the way, I'm, you know, using debt to your advantage is not a bad thing, right? And, and, and so you can use leverage. And uh, look, if you invest in real estate, as an example, using leverage is a great way to build wealth in real estate, as long as you do it correctly, right? A lot of people go, well, I've got to pay off all my debt. You know, don't go jump off that cliff entirely just yet. If you're making a lot of money and you're saving well, having a mortgage on your house is not a bad thing, right? Well, especially if you have it at two and a half or three and a half percent, four percent. Correct. You're looking pretty good right now. Absolutely. So don't. So the point is, is as I'm not poo-pooing leverage in general, right? Uh, you know, if I can borrow at four percent and invest it at ten or eleven percent, then yeah, I want to do that. Right. That makes sense. There's nothing wrong with leverage, especially if I have an asset behind it. Right. Now, yeah. And I wouldn't borrow at four percent to go buy NVIDIA stock. Right. That's not smart investing. But if I'm borrowing at four percent to have a, you know, an investment into a piece of real estate that's going to throw off cash flow and generate a, a cash on cash return of eight, nine, 10, 11 percent do that all day long because I've got an asset sitting on the other side of that, right? That has a, has a stated value to it. And it's not going to go from 400 to zero overnight, which can happen in stocks. 
So they're, you know, their leverage itself is not a bad thing. The problem is, is that when you have all leverage and no assets, <laughs> that that's the problem. And, and I think some of the smartest people use leverage, especially within business. Right. And, and they may be less inclined to do so personally because, but you, you do see some people that will do that because they're letting their assets work for them while they're paying down, you know, Correct. notes at much smaller rates. But going out and, and starting a business with absolutely nothing and no real intent to actually do anything with it, like you talked about at the very beginning of the yeah. segment, yeah. is not a great idea. Yeah, that, that, that typically doesn't work out well. Yeah. That's, it seems like a shell game. It'll, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's, the simple, it's a simple thing that the payments eventually come due. Yeah. Right. So... Uh, but this, but that that look, this is all kind of a segue of just in, into kind of a, a very interesting article that was out. This is actually a, an article out by Charles Schwab talking about how much it takes to be wealthy versus just feeling wealthy. And I thought that was interesting because, you know, if you watch CNBC or, you know, Market Watch or any of these things, you'll see these articles all the time. It's like just, you know, if you just save, you know, $400 a month, you'll have a million dollars in the bank by the time you retire. That may be true. You may have a million dollars in 30 years if you do that. But the problem is, is a million dollars in 30 years isn't going to be worth a million dollars today because of inflation, right? And, and, and this is the same premise and the same issue we have going back to 1980. Back in 1980, if I had a million dollars in the bank, I could generate 8, 9, 10% on that money just by buying treasuries at that time and have a very good lifestyle. The problem is, is that a million dollars back in 1980, the, the average cost of living was around $30,000, $35,000. Today, the average cost of living is $65,000, and a million dollars at 4% doesn't generate $65,000 a year to live on. That's the problem. So you know, be, you know, having a million dollars in the bank doesn't necessarily mean you're wealthy. It all depends on what your lifestyle is. And, and I thought that was kind of an interesting article. You can, you know, there's a lot of people that make a lot of money but still don't feel wealthy because their cost of living exceeds what they actually have coming in. Yeah, I think, you know, so the number crept up just a tad bit from 2 million last year to 2.2 million. 48% um, of respondents said they already felt wealthy with an average net worth of only 560,000 though. Right. And a big component of that was relationships, um, what they intended to do and, you know, kind of their well-being. Yeah. And so I think, you know, for most people, I think that's what it is, right? Financial freedom in the sense that you can do certain things within within parameters. That doesn't mean you can just you have a you know a credit card that you use anywhere and everywhere you want, <laughs> and, and we do see that as well. Right. But defining wealthy has changed. So forty percent of respondents mentioned their well being. Thirty two percent said money. Twenty six percent said assets, and eighty three percent cited not having financial stress over accumulating more money, and seventy nine percent enjoying experiences. Right. Which you know all the things you just mentioned. But I do find that interesting. I also find another article that said, um, you know, more Americans don't value hard work like they used to. Right. Then they wonder why they're not worth Well, <laughs> exactly. I mean, there is a correlation now. And, you know, there's also in that article, they said, look, it's the, the rise of gig economy, so to speak. A lot of people going and doing jobs that aren't so permanent. And, you know, I think when you're, you're not focusing your time or attention on one thing that you're really, really good at, and you're spending time on, little bit here, a little bit there. It's probably really difficult to to grow income mm -hmm. over time. What do no, you think? No, no it is. And, and look, it's it's a pretty simple set of math, right? Is that if I dedicate my time towards one goal, 
I'm probably going to achieve that goal. And look, there's going to be adversity. Why, why do 80% of all businesses fail? 80% of all businesses fail for basically two reasons. Lack of capitalization. So they go start a business and they don't have enough capital to survive the process of getting started up and a downturn in the economy, whatever it is. And they simply just don't have enough capital or access to capital. The second reason is, is, is lack of fortitude. And what, it, what that means is simply that as soon as they run into the first initial problem, they quit. And like, oh, well, that didn't work. You know, so, oh, man. And, 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 and trust me, if you're going to run a business, if you're going to be in business, period, it's going to be one hurdle after another. And every time you get through one problem, guess what? There's going to be another problem right behind it. And there's going to be another problem right behind that. You know, running a business is simply it was like running a hurdle race. I mean, <laughs> every two steps you're having to jump over a hurdle and you've just got to keep going. and You've got to plow through it. But but by doing that. You know, that's how you eventually build success and build wealth. And, you know, despite and the reason that people poo poo on capitalism, they go, oh, capitalism's broken. The wealthy people have all the money. It's not easy because it's not easy. Right. And look, there's two ways to get wealthy in this country, which is either inherit it <laughs> or you got to build it. One of the two. And unfortunately, I don't have any wealthy parents to inherit wealth from. So I've got to build it. Danny does, too. And. But it's a it's a it's a process, and you've got to put in the time. It's it's not forty hours a week. It's not taking off anytime you want. Another big mistake that people make going into business is they go into business and they go, okay, well, I need to make one hundred fifty thousand dollars a year. So they immediately start paying themselves one hundred fifty thousand dollars a year, and the business isn't generating that. Yep. Well, you're going to go bankrupt real quick doing that. You got to understand that that running a business, you're going to starve for the first five years. You're going to work 80, 100, 120 hours a week. And when you get really successful at business, you're going to be working 80 to 120 Everybody hours always a week. sees the end, right? <laughs> yeah. But they never see all the things in between. Exactly. They, you know, they say that that guy over there, he was an overnight success. So lucky. It just only took him 10 years to get there. Yeah. So, yeah. We'll talk some more about uh, about this on the other side of the break because it's an important, uh, this, this idea of being wealthy. We'll talk about it right after the break. Don't go away. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com For the break, talking a little bit about you know capitalism and feeling wealthy and being wealthy and those type of things. And again, you know, in the country today, it doesn't take a lot to be in the top one percent, two percent of the population. Now, it takes a lot to get into the top one tenth of one percent, but that's a different <laughs> that's a different animal altogether. But to be in the top one percent of savers and investors, it doesn't take a lot. If you've got a million dollars worth of net worth, you're right up there. And, you know, this is this is one of the challenges that the younger generation is having to kind of wrap their arms around is this this dichotomy between I want, you know, easiness versus I want wealth. And I'll give you a really good example. I'm, I'm dealing with this with my daughter right now. She's going to college. She's trying to figure it out. Right. What what do I want to be when I grow up? 
right? So we're, we're into that phase. And so I spend a lot of time, um, you know, my wife and I will spend, we'll go to dinner with our kids and we'll talk about bi- the, our business and the things that we're working on and, you know, where we're, where we're placing investments, things that we're, that we're doing. And we allow our kids to overhear the conversation so they get an idea of, you know, kind of how things work, right? Um, I think one of the problems that a lot of parents have is that they don't want to discuss finances in front of their kids. I think that's a mistake because even, even the bad stuff, right? When you talk about, hey, you know, we're having trouble paying bills this month or whatever it is, we have that conversation. We have a very strict budget in our house. And, you know, sometimes our kids, hey, hear, my, hear me and my wife talking about us, hey, we're running out of money for the month. We've got to, you know, watch our spending between, you know, over the next week and until we get paid broke. again. And that's, yeah, but they do. It's just being smart. Right. But we want them to hear that, right? We want them to hear that. And a lot of times parents try to hide that from their kids and and because they don't want them to be exposed to it. But I think that's a mistake because this is my opinion, right? I'm not, I'm not telling you what you should do. I'm just telling you what we do. But I think it's a mistake to shield kids from adversity in life because if you don't expose them to the adversity – then they don't develop the immunity. It's, you know, it's kind of like, expo- you know, <laughs> when, when my kids were growing up, every time we would hear our neighbor's kids had the flu or the mumps or whatever, we were like, hey, go play with Jimmy. And we sent our kids down there to play with them. We wanted them to get sick. We wanted them to get exposed to this stuff because it helped them build a stronger immune system. Now they don't get sick, right? They, they are very strong, healthy kids. They don't get sick. They, you know, You'd have, blah, probably blah, blah. have CPS knock on your door these days. I, doing that. Probably. Just saying. But probably today, yes. But the goal was was help them develop an immunity. So again, you know, even in, in life, you know, this is you have to expose them to adversity. And so it was an interesting conversation. You know, my daughter was on the couch the other night. And she had a, a project due. And because uh, she's going to summer school uh, this summer. And so she had a project due, and it was due at eleven fifty nine PM Sunday night. Had to be turned in. And she had known about this project for like five days. And so, of course, she's starting it right before. Well, of the course, deadline. it's yeah. like eight o'clock at night. She's going to start this project, get it turned in. And I'm like, honey, you can't procrastinate. I said, you're you're very stressed out right now. And because she was like totally you know, about to break down because she had all this stress on her for this project. She goes, well, I work best under stress. I'm like, that is a load of crap. <laughs> <laughs> that is an excuse that people tell themselves all the time. You do not work best under stress, and you do not work best multitasking. You work best when you focus on your project, take your time, and do it right. And so we're having this conversation. She's like, well, you know, I need a break every now and then. I'm like, having a break is fine after you do your work, right? And But this is one of the problems I do see a lot with younger kids today. And, and again, you know, they do. They value these experiences, and we were talking about it earlier you know, there's this kind of movement now of, of not working as hard. And that's okay, right? And this is what I was explaining to my daughter. Look, you can make a choice not to work hard. You can make a choice to be average. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But you will be average. You will not excel. And if you want to build wealth, if you want to have, you know, the big house and the fancy cars and, and the things that you talk about, you're going to have to work hard for those things. Those don't come easy. And, you know, it's, you know, of course, she doesn't believe me because I'm an idiot and, you know, I don't know what I'm talking about. Of course. <laughs> Maybe have somebody else put it on social media. <laughs> exactly. 
<laughs> because, but, but see, that's the problem, right? We go back yeah. to the social media stuff. That's what she sees, right? She sees all these young kids. There was, I, and, and she was watching this video of another uh, other night, right? This 22-year-old kid is being videoed by his buddy, and he's in a dealership to buy a private jet, right? 22-year-old buying a private jet. He's like, wow, this guy has got so much money. Turns out it was all it was all a scam. The kid yeah. was there just talking to some guy about buying a jet, and they were filming it, and it made it look like he was buying the jet. It wasn't. It was just for, for clicks and views and those type of things. You know, but the point is, is that, you know, we have to do a better job raising our children. If they, the, the opportunity to build wealth through capitalism, as we were talking about before, it's not easy. But anybody can do it. And it's always interesting to me, Danny, that you hear all these things about how capitalism sucks, capitalism's broken. But yet every day we see people starting businesses, chat GPT, right? Um, you know, Facebook you know, Meta, right? Uber, whatever it is, Uber Dash, DoorDash. All these businesses were started by somebody going, hey, I've got an idea and I'm going to build a business around it. And they become vastly successful. There's no, there's no stopping you from doing that. There is nothing in capitalism that is keeping you from, from stepping out there, taking a risk to build something. And there is a crap ton of capital sitting around. We have more private equity money sitting around right now trying to find a place to go. You come up with a good idea, private equity will invest in it. You just have to come up with the idea and put the business together and get it going first. But you got to take the risk. You've got to take the risk of failure. And this is the, the conversation I have with my daughter all the time. You've got to be willing to fail in order to succeed. That's the hard part. But Lance, I can sit at home and work an hour a day maybe at that and you know, get a thousand dollars every day. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, use Chat GPT to write eBooks that you then sell on Amazon. Yeah, and or, make ten thousand dollars a month. You go buy products at stores at cheaper prices and turn around and you know, there's so them. many ways. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, hey, you can have sure. warehouses all on your own and only work an hour or two. Well, look, you do that, and then let me know, and, and then write uh, write a. Uh, a TikTok video on the steps to do that, and then we can sell that. Hey, subscribe to my to my channel, and <laughs> if only for a low cost of five hundred ninety nine dollars. Actually, you know what? And don't I'm worry about. It. I'll teach you. Write a book on how to make a million dollars and sell a million copies of it at a dollar. You'll be good. There you go. Now you're talking. Yeah, exactly. This is the way it works. No, but I think the the thing we talk about all the time is going back and having these conversations. Right, financial literacy is not going to be taught in the schools. It has to be taught in the home. And, you know, we're, we've gotten to the point where we've been making, I say making, we've been having our kids pay for things. Mm. Like we go out to eat. Okay. Wow. Okay. This is a lot of money. Um, and then understanding like, how do you tip? Right. Um, and so actually physically giving them the card to say, okay, now, now what happens? where did that money come from? Well, you know, so having that conversation. Mm -hmm. So I think any time that you can use so many little small interactions where it doesn't necessarily feel like it's the boring, you know, woe is me. I don't want to hear this about money, especially with younger children. Right. They, you get them engaged and involved. And I think that at a young age, it's going to help them as they progress through life to really have a much better understanding as far as how this works. And you're right. It's very easy to be average. But, you know, looking back at that report, 37% of those who use social media said they compare their lifestyle to family and friends. Yep. I guarantee you it's way more than that. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Way more. Nobody wants to compare themselves. So when they answer that survey, I'm sure like, yeah, no, that's not me. I would never do that. I know. 
I just I just watch your channel. I compare myself to you all the time. It's got to be so, so boring because there's not much going on. <laughs> you know, we're actually working, living life. There's, there's not a whole lot of time to document. Yeah, there, there's really not. I don't. It's, it's uh, my wife always talks about. It. She says I'm going to start a, a channel because she loves to cook. My wife is an yeah. amazing cooker. I don't know what you call it, chef. Chef. Uh, but well, she but cooks and bakes. So I mean, I don't know. Anyway, but she's really great at it. And so she talks all the time about starting a channel to you know share recipes and and uh, she makes cookies that will you know kill you. Um, why I'm not 800 pounds is a totally different story. Well, that's why she has you on two different workout routines. <laughs> yes, this is a this is a true fact. It's called discipline. <laughs> exactly. It's like I'll take a crumb, please. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know. She's got no time. She works a full-time job. She takes care of a family. There's no time to go make videos yeah. of all this stuff and to put it out there and do this stuff. So, Yeah, Michelle gets after me. She says, you need to have a better presence on social media. And, and You, you know, do. She has a marketing background and, and what she does and you know, obviously in television and radio. And so I'm just like, when? When do you propose I do this? <laughs> you need to pay her to do it for you. Yeah. But I, can't, I don't have time to make content, so that's the yeah. problem. Yeah. No, it, no, it's 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 a challenge. Maybe I just don't have the will. I don't know. It's one of the two. Maybe Look, both. Where there's a will, there's a way. Yeah. Right? yeah right. You're just the problem is, is you're sleeping too much. Yeah. All, all four <laughs> or five hours these days. Hey, that's four or five hours of content creation yeah, right there. That's right. Just that's right. Throwing it away. Anyway. I'm doing a little better than that. But still. <laughs> But it, the, the point is, is, is look, two, I think there, there's two important lessons from all of this. One, building wealth isn't hard, right? You can build wealth simply by saving money. That's one problem that we don't do enough of. Second thing is, is really talk to your kids, expose them to adversity, you know, expose them to the challenges of your journey of building wealth. Let them know it's not an easy path. Help them get adjusted to that, acclimated to that challenge, and then they're more likely to succeed in the future. Anyway, all right, quick break. We'll come back. Got to wrap up the show. Let's talk about a little bit about markets and uh, the Fed today and kind of what to expect next. What if the Fed pauses? What does that mean for the markets? Talk about that when we come back. Don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. And welcome back to the show this morning. So we'll get off the, the kid issue. I have other stories about my other daughter right now what you got huh what you what do you have well so you know she works too yeah right and uh she's 16 about to turn 17 in september uh got her car driving around and so she she's having to work this job and it, it, it pays like nine bucks an hour and it doesn't pay much and so she has to work enough hours to pay her car note and so she venmos me her car note every month and when you Venmo somebody, you can put a note at the bottom of the transaction, you know, for what it's for. It's like a memo, like on a check, mm -hmm. right? So you say, this is what it's for. So she sends me nasty messages. Like through Venmo? Right, right. It's like, 
here's my car payment. Now I can't eat anything. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Here's my car note. I was going to buy a new outfit, but I guess that's over. <laughs> So I get little hate messages from my daughter. Here's a car note. Need money for gas. <laughs> oh, that's and so, and so, <laughs> and so when she, you know, like she, she called me last night and she's like, "Hey, Dad, can I come over for Taco Tuesday?" And I'm like, "Honey, I can't do Taco Tuesday tonight because, uh, you know, Tia. Uh, we call we call my wife Tia. Her name is Christina, but her nickname is Tia for the kids." Uh, Tia's got to travel to New Orleans on her job, and so we'll do Taco next uh, Taco Tuesday next week. So I get a, a text from her that says, well, I guess I'll just starve until next Tuesday because I have no money. <laughs> so. Oh, that's good stuff. Anyway. So uh, you can't cook? Of course I can cook. You just don't want to? No, I cook, I cook well. I cook often. Okay. Uh, my wife and I split duties in the house. Well, even more so. importantly, she can't cook? Your daughter? She, no, of course they can cook, but they want Lucci's tacos on Kirkwood, right? Oh, good. Taco grief. Tuesday at Lucci's Tacos. Best tacos in, in the city of Houston, by the way. Here, Lucci and Joey's. Used to be a food truck, now it's a uh, little taco restaurant. But, so. they, but they had a flat, so they left it there. <laughs> they just kind of parked it right there, now it's a restaurant. Um, expensive tacos, but they're really good. Anyway, um, back to work here. Um, so the Fed is supposed to potentially the, the thought process today is that the Fed will pause on rate hikes. Now, a pause does not does not necessarily mean they're stopping. They're just potentially skipping this meeting. And they if inflation continues to remain sticky, then they may need to hike rates some more. But the premise of the markets is that the Fed is now done hiking rates. That's why the market's been rallying into this idea that the Fed is going to stop hiking rates because what happens next, Danny? If you've stopped hiking rates, what happens next? Fed rate cuts. Yeah. Right? Everybody's looking for more. But it doesn't always happen immediately like everybody expects. Right. But everybody's looking for more accommodation. If the Fed starts cutting rates, if they start reversing quantitative tightening, going back to quantitative easing, start buying bonds, that means stocks do what? That all makes sense, but they what's the incentive? That's a different issue. I'm just telling you what the market, the reason the market's rallying is that's what the market's hoping for, yeah. right? That has nothing to do with incentives. It's all about hope. You know, hope. My daughter hopes that I'm going to buy her tacos next Tuesday. She's probably wrong, but there's hope, Danny. We have hope. Well, you said they're expensive. I'm just curious. Do you limit them on how many tacos they can have? They you get, get one. one. They, you they, get they, one. They, no, they get one. They have to share it with all four of them. Okay. So, okay. No. But it's a big one. <laughs> Got to be. No, that, that is a big problem, right? If you look back historically, we think about any time that the Fed's been hiking since 1950, 11 of 14 times has put us into a recession. Yep. We've, we're seeing that things are slowing down. What was it? Six of the 11 big uh, metropolitan areas that, um, that they, they poll or they look at mm -hmm. with the Fed. Those actually had less than 3.5% growth. We saw some of the bigger cities had some issues. Housing remains extremely resilient. When you start looking under the hood of these numbers. But some of the other areas are... They're not as strong, right? but we're not in that deflationary stage, more disinflation, where it's just still have inflation, just lower, and households are still hurting. And now you've coupled that with lower savings rates, higher credit balances. I don't see how it ends well. Well, But, but this but has been the slowest moving train we've seen in a long time. <laughs> it has been. And there's also a difference this time, which is normally 
when the Fed is hiking interest rates. They are hiking interest rates into a strongly growing economy. They're worried about the economy overheating. And the momentum of the stock market is running higher mm. during those Fed rate hikes because the economy is still doing fine. And they're like, oh, they're hiking rates. No big deal. Everything's great. Earnings are still strong and it's all fine because of that economic momentum. The difference this time, and right, I hate to use that term, it's different this time, but the difference this time is that the market actually declined 20% while they were hiking rates. And we haven't had a recession yet. So we kind of pulled forward that whole decline in the market while the Fed was hiking rates. So the question now becomes, normally what happens is the Fed is hiking rates, they cause a recession, then they cut rates to offset the impact of the recession. But this time, the market declined prior to it, to the recession, during the rate hikes. And so this has kind of got everything backwards at the moment, at least. You know, so this idea that when the Fed stops hiking rates, that markets are going to take off running, it may not actually work out that way because we've already kind of done that ahead of the rate cuts, which normally doesn't happen. So we've kind of advanced, the market kind of advanced in front of the whole Fed cycle which hasn't happened before, right? Yeah, so I mean, this time could be different like any other time, but the Fed has already broken something. Look at what happened in March and April. Mm -hmm. I mean, clearly there's something wrong in financials. I think we still have liquidity issues and, and tightening that's likely going to continue here for a bit. Right. So with that, doesn't that slow things down even more potentially? I know all this forward guidance supposedly looks great. And, well, and analysts are, you know, they're adjusting earnings, but... Well, At the end know, of the day, it's a consumer. It's true. Um, but there's been a big contraction in consumer confidence, right? Yeah. Um, which normally doesn't happen until you're in the recession. So that's run in front so of the recession. So are we in it? Maybe. Um, manufacturing uh, indexes have had a huge decline. And at some point, you know, you, you run through an inventory cycle, right? And, and you run through negative pessimism and people contract to a point that they simply just have to start buying stuff again just to make ends meet, et cetera. And so what happens, this is why you have economic cycles. You know, you have this contraction period, then you go back into a period of expansion. The question now becomes is, have we done enough? And I, I don't know the answer, by the way. But the question is, is have we done enough economically to adjust and account for a recessionary contraction, as we were talking about last weekend's newsletter, is that we've had we went from 12% nominal growth to basically 1% growth. We've had an 11% contraction on an annualized basis in GDP. We haven't gone negative so we don't have a recession. But we have slowed down the economy by a large degree over the last year. We just haven't got to recessionary territory yet. And we were talking about that on the show previously. You know, but this is the thing to kind of think about, you know, have we done enough or is there more to go? And Again, we don't have the answer for this, and I don't disagree with you, Danny, that you would have to expect that if you continue to run interest rates at these levels, with debt levels where they are, that you're going to have more problems economically, slower economic growth. That seems logical, but this market has not been logical as of late. No, no, it hasn't. And, and I think that's the biggest problem I think that most people are facing is that because of this, we're trying to rationalize it all. Yeah. And then, and then we look at the data that we have today, even though that's behind us and the market's looking so much further out. That's, I think was most difficult for the average or, or any investor for that matter. I mean, this is a very challenging time. You think about last year, there's no place to hide, but cash. Now there's, you have options, but are they good ones? Yeah. 
Yeah, that's. It's, I mean, it's, if you look at market breadth, that's terrible. You've got the handful of stocks that are going up, while the remainder are declining or just sitting there. Yeah. What do you do? Well, good news though is is that over the last few days we have started to see. You know, we've been talking about sector rotation. Michael Leibowitz has been writing articles. Our last weekend's newsletter is on. A, it's talking about sector rotation. And we are starting to see a little bit of sector rotation. So maybe we'll see this broaden out a little bit. So describe that, though, just to like the the average person driving down the street yep. on a sector rotation. Like what is so so you and I, we talk about it. And I think it's kind of inside baseball sometimes. Right. So so what does that mean? Well, so first of all, go to the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Last week's article, um, Michael Leibowitz's new article is out this morning talking about sector rotation and how to actually look at it using our simplevisor.com uh, platform. Um, but basically what it is, is, you know, you think about uh, the markets itself, right? So technology obviously has been having a huge run as of late. And at some point, investors just naturally start to look over at healthcare and go, wow, healthcare hasn't done anything this year. And those companies have really strong earnings and their valuations are a lot cheaper than what's going on in technology stocks right now. Those are really undervalued. So I think I'll go buy some of those. And that's kind of how the market works. Remember, the market's like just is a big auction place. You've got buyers and sellers. And at one point, you get everybody buying tech stocks. And then for some reason, and you never know why, some, bar, some person holds up their hand and goes, I'm out. I'm going to go buy healthcare." <laughs> and all of a sudden, everybody else goes, that's not a bad idea. I think I'll follow them. And you get this kind of transition in the markets to another sector in the markets. And this is why over time, um, you see these rotations in the market. Good example, 2022, midst of this downturn in the market, energy stocks were up 40% for the year. Everything else was negative. This year, energy's down 10% and technology's up 40%. So that's a rotation. Everybody hated technology last year. In fact, I wrote an article in October of last year talking about why FANG stocks weren't dead because everybody thought they were dead. Nobody wanted to own FANG stocks. Now they can't get enough of them. Just how the markets work. That's sector rotation. Go to the website, read our last week's newsletter. We go into depth on sector rotation. Again, Michael's article out today as well, talking about sector rotation, how to use simplevisor.com to look at that sector rotation as well for yourself. Kind of make some guesstimates about where money may move to next. It's all on the website now, realinvestmentadvice.com. Danny, thanks so much. Be sure you get by the website, get our latest replay of Danny and Richard's market malaise or uh, summer malaise on money. That's on our website now. Also uh, coming up, we've got several other events coming up this summer as well. So hang around. We'll talk all about that and get our three minutes on markets and money. It's on our new channel that we have is available on YouTube. It's all there for you. Keep you up to date. We'll see you back here tomorrow with Michael Leibowitz to talk all about the Fed.